No, Brother Eric, I have not heard that song in years. The last time, and Chris, that would ring a bell with you back in 1988, Lighthouse Baptist Church, and uh, the late Pastor Joe Mendes had a missionary, I think it was from New York, come down, and uh, he actually sang that song, I'm on the winning side, but he put a little twist to that song. He said, I hit a long home run by believing on the sun, right? <laughs> and I'm glad to be on the winning side. So we are on the winning side, amen? If you're born again and you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, I'm here to say you are on the winning side, amen? amen. You know, whether it's by death or by the rapture, it's a win-win situation for us, amen, because we are indeed on the winning side. Jesus Christ is coming again. You say, how do I know that? I have a Bible right here, amen. and it tells me throughout the scriptures that he is coming again. The promise that we have from the Lord in John 14, verses 1 through 3, amen. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not, so I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I believe he's been doing that for the last 2,000 years, getting heaven ready for his bride. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you. you got to love these four words, right? Yeah. You know these four words. What is it? I will come again. Oh, yeah. And receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. That is a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle, to receive this revelation of what we call the rapture, would be the apostle Paul, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52. Paul said, Behold, I show you a... Mystery. Everyone loves a good mystery, amen? You're going to love this one. I show you a mystery. We, talking about the church, we shall not all sleep. In other words, there is coming a generation of born-again Christians, Brother Tom, that will not experience physical death in their lifetime. And if we believe the rapture of the church is that very close, that could possibly be you. That could possibly be me. Well, what if you die before the rapture, August? That's out of my control. I have no control over that at all, Brother Chris. If I die before the rapture, I told my wife, put this on my headstone. Here lies Brother August Rosado, only renting this spot, we'll be leaving soon. But if I'm alive at the time of the rapture, that works for me too, amen? He said, I I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last Trump or shofar, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. One day we will be changed from mortal to immortal, from corruptible to incorruptible, amen, from perishable to imperishable, and faster than you can blink, the human eye, we're going to meet him in the sky, amen. He's going to take us to the Father's house. That's what Jesus said. I take you to my Father's house, amen. He will take us to the Father's house. Now help me. Help me out here. When he takes us to heaven, we will be there for? Seven years. Brief seven years. Everyone says forever. No. no. Brief seven years. Or what we would say the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Daniel 9, 24 through 27, a final seven-year period of tribulation to come upon unbelieving Israel and the unbelieving Gentile nations of the world. Take my word for this. Israel and the Jews in the present are in a state of unbelief. 
don't believe me, read Daniel, uh, excuse me, uh, Romans 11 and verse number 25. Now, I'm going to be leaving for Israel June the 20th. This is going to be my 34th trip to the Holy Land. And I am going to Israel to go soul winning. No tour groups, no just uh, one other individual and myself, Dr. Todd Baker of Berit Chadashah Ministries. Now, Berit Chadashah, I got that guttural there, Chadashah, is Hebrew for New Covenant or the New Testament. That is his ministry, Berit Chadashah Ministries. Dr. Baker and I will be going to Israel, and we're going to be sharing the gospel with Israeli Jews and with Israeli Arabs. We'll be going into shopping malls in Tel Aviv. Dizengoff Mall, one of my favorite places to go to out there. Dizengoff Mall in Tel Aviv, Netanya, Tiberias, Nazareth, Haifa in the Carmel regions where the Jewish prophet Elijah ministered, and then finally end up in, you want to learn some Hebrew this morning? Yerushalayim. Say that with me. Yerushalayim. Isn't that a, oh, you said that perfect. That's a beautiful Hebrew word, Yerushalayim, the holy city of Jerusalem. The city that Jesus called in Matthew 5.35, and being a Jew, being a rabbi, he would have said it in Hebrew. Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, the city of the great king. Because one day the king of kings and the Lord of lords will reign from that very city. And those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as personal savior, we are going to reign with him. So I'm here to say, Brother Chris, for a thousand years, you are all going to be Israelis. Whether you like it or not, because we're going to reign with the greatest Israeli, the greatest Jew, the greatest rabbi to ever walk the face of this earth. Yeshua, Hamashiach, Ben David, Ben Abraham, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is coming again. And what does Paul say concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus that we call the rapture? He says, don't be ignorant about it. Did he not say that? He said, don't be ignorant of Israel's unbelief, Romans eleven twenty five, And he said, don't be ignorant about his soon return. Now, he made that clear. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, I will not have to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, the dead in Christ, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with us, Shout! What's he going to shout? Possibly come up hither, Revelation 4, 1 and 2. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise feet uh, first. Six feet further to go, but they go first. Then we, which are alive and remain, pow, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore? Come for all. Oh, you got to love those words. Comfort one another with these words. Why would Paul say comfort one another with these words? Why would Jesus say, let not your heart be troubled? Because you and I as the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, will not see one day of that. Seven 
year period. Listen, if we're going to go through any part of the tribulation period, Jesus would have never said, let not your heart be troubled. Paul would have never said, comfort one another with these words. The best I would say to you this morning is, find the nearest cave and hide under a rock. Because it's going to be an awful, unprecedented seven-year period to come upon, again, unbelieving Israel and the unbelieving Gentile nations of the world. The church is not in a state of unbelief. Israel is in a state of unbelief. Christians are not in a state of unbelief. It's the Jews that are in a state of unbelief. Take my word for it. When I go soul winning in the Holy Land, they are in a state of unbelief. That's why we plant that chabesserah, that good news, that seed of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please pray for Dr. Baker and myself when we leave for Israel June the 20th, coming back on July 3rd. If I get raptured in Israel, it's only going to be a domestic flight for me. For the rest of you, it's international. <laughs> we all go up at the same time, amen? But uh, whether I'm here or over there, Jesus is coming back. Amen. And that is the promise of our blessed hope. So please keep us in prayer for the 54th Israel Gospel Outreach. And then after our day of evangelizing, Dr. Baker and I will be teaching Bible prophecy on location at biblical sites uh, that we'll choose when we are out there to upload on Facebook and on my uh YouTube channel. Go to my YouTube channel. Subscribe to my channel, August Rosado. I think I have about um, maybe 907 videos. Don't try to watch them all in one day, man. Uh, but I got about 907 videos on uh, YouTube, and I think we are at uh, 947 subscribers. We're almost reaching 1,000 there, so uh, please subscribe to my YouTube channel if you'd like to come to Israel with us in the fall. My wife and I will be leading the Bible prophecy toward Israel, Israel and Jordan, two countries for the price of one. We would love to have you join us, and I will teach you prophecy in Israel, and then east of the state of Israel, east of the Jordan River, the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. You say, August, why would you want to go over to Jordan? That's an Arab country. I know that. But it's also the extended Bible lands. Israel is the Bible land. Jordan is the extended Bible lands. We go to North Jordan to Mount Nebo, right? Deuteronomy 32, 49 and 50. That's where Moses viewed the promised land before he died. And I took my tour group there. I think we went there twice, Patty, right? To Mount Nebo. And we were looking at the promised land from Jordan where Moses would have viewed it from 3,500 years ago. Absolutely amazing. Then we'll drive all the way south to South Jordan to a place called Petra. Petra, where we believe the Jews will be held up, the surviving Jewish remnant, for the last half of the tribulation period. We don't find Petra by name in the Bible, but we find its geographical location there in Isaiah 16, 1 and 4, Isaiah 26, 20, Isaiah 63, 1 through 6, Revelation 12, 6, Revelation 12, 14. That will be the location. So I will teach you Bible prophecy on location there. So if you are interested and you would like to come with us, see me at the end of the service. I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. What I want to talk about this morning are the temple vessels. Are our days numbered? And I would like you to open your Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter number 5, please. Daniel is right after that large book of Ezekiel, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 28. Daniel chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. Continue to pray for our pastor, amen, uh, Tony Barboza and his wife Dawn as they are out there in Pensacola 
much needed rest, much needed vacation. And uh, they'll be with us uh, again soon. And so please keep them in prayer. And pray for me for next Sunday before I leave for Israel. I'm going to be preaching in Haverhill, Massachusetts at Lifeline Baptist Church. I'll be preaching there all day for Pastor Chris Giacomo and all of his people there. The church has grown by leaps and bounds. They're a wonderful ministry out there. And I'm looking forward to preaching to them all day at Lifeline Baptist Church next Sunday. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. Now in Daniel chapter 5, we see Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now Belshazzar, king of Babylon, was co-regent of Babylon with his father, Nabonidus, so they were both co-regent, but Nabonidus is out fighting wars, so he leaves his son, Belshazzar, in charge of Babylon at that time. He decides to throw, uh, to, to throw if you will, a drunken party. And what is he doing to throw this drunken party? He is desecrating the holy vessels from the temple in Jerusalem. That was destroyed by his forefather Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. Babylon had three waves of invasion against the city of Jerusalem. 605 B.C., Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were taken in that first wave. I know everybody calls them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I like to refer to them by their godly Hebrew names, not by their pagan Babylonian names. Amen? So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they were taken into the captivity. Second wave, 597 B.C., Ezekiel and 10,000 Jews are taken over into Babylon. Finally, 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar destroys Jerusalem, destroys Solomon's temple, takes the remaining Jews back to Babylon for a period of 70 years. And he takes all the temple treasures from Jerusalem. And now he's having this drunken orgy, if you will, uh, this drunken party desecrated the vessels from the temple. And as he's drinking, all of a sudden he sees the hand right in on the wall. Look at verse 25 with me, please, of Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, verse 25. The days of Babylon's kingdom are numbered. And this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsim. This, this is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Let's pray this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to once again worship you, to be in the house of God, dear Lord, to fellowship with one another as believers, as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. Father, to teach and preach your holy word for its plain sense interpretation. Father, the events that we see here in Daniel chapter number 5 of the days of Babylon being numbered because of their blasphemy, because of their irreverence, because of their wickedness and shaking their face, shaking their fist, I should say, in the face of the God of Israel. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would use me as I preach this message and that you would hide me behind the cross as I do so. And, Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning and they do not have the assurance of going to heaven when they die, Father, it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit of God 
would convict them, prick their very hearts, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and get saved. I believe, Lord, that we're running on borrowed time. I believe that the nations of this world, including this country, I believe that their days are numbered. And so, Father, would you please help us in these last days in which we live prior to the rapture of the church to be soul winners, to reach the lost at any cost. And so, Father, may you now be glorified in everything that is said and done here today. And we ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' precious name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen. Wow. Mine, mine, teko, you farsen. What does that even mean? Well, you know the Bible is its best own interpreter, right? The Bible is its best own interpreter. And I've already said this to you. When you read the book of Daniel, you need to read it how? Chronologically. Do not read it numerically. Do not read it straight through chapters 1 through 12 because it's not in chronological order. So that means you have to bounce around the book of Daniel in order to read it chronologically. Do you remember the chronological sequence? Nine through twelve, exactly. Chapters one, two, three, four, seven, eight, five, six, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. That is how you should be reading the book of Daniel chronologically. You will see how everything fits into place, how everything just fits like a hand in a glove. Amen. Now, folks, you know we've all we've all heard that saying in the past, right? The handwriting is on the wall. Now that is an idiom to mean that something bad is about to happen, right? Something bad. Is about to take place. Something that is catastrophic is imminent. It is about to take place. And folks, I believe that in these last days in which we live, the nations of the world are on borrowed time. The wrath of God is about to fall on wicked humanity due to their wickedness, due to their unrighteousness and rebellion against God. And I'm reminded of passages, for example, like Psalm 917. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now, I cannot find one specific reference to the United States of America in Bible prophecy, but I can show you a general reference, and it's right there, Psalm 917. All the nations that forget God. I'm here to tell you America has forgotten God. America has shaken its fist in God's face for the last time. Not just America, folks. I'm talking all the nations of the world. The wicked shall be turned to hell. All the nations that forget God. Nations who have turned on God the Father and God the Son. I'm also reminded of passages like, for example, um, Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, does not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. The wicked do not seek, S-E-E-K, after God. Amen? Yes, man is totally depraved, but not to the point where he is incapable of seeking after God. Man, why is God telling us to do something that we are incapable of doing? He calls men to seek after him. Man is not doing that today because of their wickedness. Because they are unregenerate, they have no desire for the things of God or anything that is holy, for that matter. One day, God will show man and the nations of the world that they are nothing but sinful, mortal human beings who will one day become dust. 
one day the nations will know what it means to fear God. Amen. That's Psalm chapter 9, verse number 20. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations, plural, may know themselves to be but men. Mortal, sinful individuals. And this guy, Belshazzar, had to find out the hard way when he's having this drunken orgy in his palace, and all of a sudden he sees the fingers of a man's hand writing on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Euphosim. The days of Babylon are now numbered. The nation will be destroyed. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be nothing more than depraved mortals who will one day be outdated. We read of the messianic prophecy concerning the king and the nations who are opposed to this king, that he will one day sit in the heavens and laugh at the calamity of nations. That Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and, and I love this word, and against his anointed. That's where we get the Hebrew word. Here's another Hebrew word for you. Mashiach. Say that with me. Mashiach. Yeah, I got that good over there. Mashiach. That's where we get the word Messiah. The nations are opposed against the Lord and against his Mashiach, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We don't want nothing to do with him. What's God's response in verse 4? But he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Yeah, God laughs. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. That's another word for mockery. God will laugh at their, at their mockery. We think today that we are invulnerable, and we think that we are beyond the reach of God because of our wealth, our military, our superpower status, our intelligence, for that matter. I'm here to say, folks, we are not. And folks, Daniel chapter 5 sums it all up as what God does to a nation that's in rebellion against him. I'm here to tell you, folks, in these last days, the handwriting is on the wall. Amen? We think we are untouchable. The Edomites, the descendants of Esau, Genesis 36, verses 1, 8, and 9, they thought that they were untouchable because they dwelt in the clefts of the rock. They believed that their city was impregnable and even God couldn't touch them until God sent the Jewish prophet Obadiah to these Gentiles to straighten them out. Remember Obadiah 3 and 4? He says, uh, The pride of thine heart has deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is on high, who saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, from thence I will bring thee down, saith the Lord. And folks, that's exactly what God did. In 312 B.C., when he sent the Nebuchadnezzar of Saudi Arabia to destroy the Edomites, destroy their kingdom, and they took it over. When I take my tour groups to Petra uh, today, all the beautiful carvings that you see over there, that five-story high treasure, were not done by the Edomites. They were all done by the Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the Edomites in 312 B.C. Why? They thought they were bigger than God. And now, Edom is no more. Belshazzar, king of Babylon, had that same attitude. Folks, even in the face 
of a military, a military threat in Daniel 5, 25 through 28. Mind you, they're having this drunken party over there. They're desecrating the vessels from the holy temple in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Mr. Belshazzar, sir, uh, you know the Medes and the Persians are outside? They're ready for war. So what? We're Babylon. Look at our massive high walls. Nobody could breach these walls. Let them do whatever they want out there. Let's continue with our drunken party. But what Belshazzar failed to realize is that the Persians went south of the Euphrates River and dammed it up. The Medes went north of the Euphrates River and also dammed it up, making a tunnel in order for them to breach those very walls. But this guy simply did not care. He had a rotten attitude even in the face of a military threat at his door. He has his drunken party in his palace, and what is he doing? He's taking the holy vessels from the temple in Jerusalem, and he's praising the gods of gold and the gods of silver. And then all of a sudden, he sees that. He's like, oy vey, what in the world is that all about? All of a sudden, he's shaking like a leaf on a tree. And the Bible says his knees are smoking. They're striking against one another. Amen? Because he had no idea what is going on. He's desecrating the temple vessels. He's doing that right in this drunken party that he is having. Belshazzar desecrating the temple treasures by drinking out of them. Now, I get emails all the time. And I take my tour groups here in the old city of Jerusalem. I got this just a couple of days ago from the Temple Institute in the old city of Jerusalem. I brought my tour group there last September where they're making all the preparations for the rebuilding of a third Jewish temple. And folks, if you are a student of Bible prophecy like I am, I'm no expert, I'm a student of Bible prophecy. I've been studying Bible prophecy for 35 years. Like all of you, I am a student. The only time I'll be an expert is when I'm in heaven. Until then, like all of you, I'm a student of Bible prophecy. Based on my reading of Daniel 9.27, based on my reading of Matthew 24.15, based on my reading of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, based on my reading of Revelation 11, 1 and 2, there will be a third temple that will stand on the most sacred piece of real estate on earth today. They call it in Hebrew, Har Harbayat. Hill of the house, what we would call the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. There will be a third temple that will stand during the tribulation period, that seven-year period, and it's called the Tribulation Temple. The Temple Institute just issued this statement uh, yesterday, and I'm going to go ahead and read just a little bit of that uh, uh, for you. They're making all of these vessels for this upcoming third Jewish temple, and they have them on display uh, there at the Temple Institute. Not only that, these guys are also breeding red cows or what they would call red heifers based out of Numbers chapter 19. Amen. What was the purpose of a red heifer? If you came into contact with a dead body, you couldn't come into the congregation. So they would have to kill this red cow and then they would burn it, take its ashes, mix it with running water, not stagnant water, running water, and then they would put... Uh, uh, a, a red skull in it, they would put hyssop in that, and then they would store it away for use just in case someone comes to the contact with a dead body. That was the purpose of the red heifer in Numbers 19. These guys have a red heifer farm in which they are trying to breed biblical red heifers in order to meet the requirements of Numbers chapter 19. They also said 
the Temple Institute has likewise called upon Israel's finest craftsmen and artisans and enlisted them in the historic task of recreating the sacred vessels and vestments. Every vessel produced by the Temple Institute is done in accordance with the precise instructions that were first handed down by God to Moshe, or Moses in Hebrew. The vessels you are about to view are uh, uh, fit and ready for use in the Holy Third Temple. May it be speedily built in our days. People ask all the time, August, when Belshazzar was having that drunken party, what vessel do you think he may have drunk out of? The late Dr. Jimmy DeYoung believes it would have been the Mizrach. Now, when you go to the Temple Institute in Jerusalem today, they have the recreation of the Mizrach on display. And I can't use a little lazy here on the TV screen, but notice the Hebrew right there. You always read Hebrew right to left. So it says Mizrach Gadol. Mizrach Gadol, the great or the large Mizrach. Now, if you, all, if you saw the Mizrach at the Temple Institute, you'll notice that it's baseless. It has a point on the bottom. Why? They don't want you to put it down if there's blood in it, because if you put it down, the blood will coagulate, and it will be no good for any type of service in the tabernacle or the first and second Jewish temples. That's why it was baseless, and it had a point on the end of it. Many prophecy scholars today believe that when Belshazzar was drinking from the temple vessels, it could have possibly been the Mizrach Gadol. It could have possibly been uh, the Mizrach right there. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung uh, believe that other prophecy teachers have uh, taught that, that the possibility that Belshazzar could have drank it out of the Mizrach. So going back to Daniel 5, 25 through 28, Belshazzar is drinking, desecrating the temple treasures, and he sees the fingers of a man's hand writing on the wall of the palace. It was in 1968, Brother Chris. Archaeologists in Iraq discovered a 2,400-year-old palace. It was all plastered. They are 95% sure that may have been the palace where this event took place in Daniel chapter number 5, where Belshazzar sees a handwriting on the wall. So Belshazzar says, hey, guys, I need somebody to interpret that for me. What does that even mean? Hey, all the wise men, come on, get over here. I know you couldn't do your job before. I'm going to give you another chance. I want you to interpret. What is mean? Mean? Tekel? You fart? What does that even mean? Uh, don't know. Oh, come on. Somebody has to interpret this for me. We don't know what it means, King. Wait a minute. That Jewish guy taken from the captivity of Judah. With my forefather, he interpreted the image in Daniel chapter 2. He could probably do the same thing here. Daniel comes in, Daniel sees a handwriting on the wall, and not Daniel, but it's God that revealed the interpretation to him, right? This is the interpretation. Look at it again, Daniel 5.25. And this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mene, Teko, Eupharsin. Here's the interpretation. This is the interpretation of the thing, Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balance, and I found wanton. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And folks, no doubt in my mind, I think that was written by God in Ivrit. It was written in Hebrew. Reading again, right to like, Mine, Mine, Tekel, Eupharsim. Mine, Mine, Tekel, Eupharsim. 
What does mine mean? It says right there, God hath done with thy kingdom and finish it. You're done, Babylon. You are done. The straw that broke the camel's back is now you're desecrated the holy vessels from the temple in Jerusalem. Your days are numbered. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanton. You farsen or Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. What I love about Mine, Tekel, you farsen, Mine actually refers to 50 shekels. What's Israel's national currency today? The shekel. Mine, 50 shekels to number. Tekel, one shekel to weigh. You farsen, Perez, half a shekel. To divide. I got tons of half a shekels at home that we bring over from Israel all the time and many, many other shekels. But that's what mine, tekel, you farsim, Perez. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So, uh, shekel, uh, 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 mine, 50 shekels to number, tekel, one shekel to weigh, you farsim, or Perez, half a shekel to divide. In other words, Babylon, your days are numbered. Belshazzar, you have been weighed in the balance. You have been judged and found guilty, and your kingdom will be split between the Medes and the Persians. You know, if I was to use modern vernacular today to Belshazzar, I would say, Mine, your days are numbered, friend. Tekel, the inevitable, is just right around the corner. Perez, your kingdom is going to be split right down the line, Jack. And that is exactly what happened. And Daniel says in Daniel chapter 5, and on that night, Belshazzar was slain. And the Babylonian Empire comes to an end. Why? Their days are numbered. Folks, the nations today, including this country, have not learned from biblical examples that we are not out of the reach of God. Our society today has desecrated all that is holy, all that is moral, all that is wholesome, even companies that were once family-friendly are no longer family-friendly anymore. Because now we live in a society that's woke, W-O-K-E, and now we want to, they want to embrace everything that is evil, calling good evil and evil good, even to the point where now Cracker Barrel, a once family-friendly restaurant, has now jumped on the bandwagon. Now making all those rocking chairs into a rainbow color. And now they, like Bud Light, they're getting all of this negative backlash because of their adoption of what the Bible calls evil. Sodomy. Same-sex unions, if you will. Now, Cracker Barrel has jumped on the bandwagon, and all these other places that were once family-friendly have now jumped on the bandwagon. Listen, folks, the goal, I've said this before, the goal today is to indoctrinate you. They're doing it with your kids in the public schools already. Behind your back, parents, they're doing it to your kids. They don't even need your permission anymore. They can give your son, your daughter, a book that says Sally has two moms and David has two dads. They don't need your permission anymore. 
And this is going on all across the United States, even in the so-called Bible Belt in the South today. The goal is indoctrination. Not only of your kids in the public school, the, uh, the goal of indoctrination is done through TV commercials. I was even in Stop and Shop. Right on the speaker, let's celebrate Pride Month by buying this and buying that. You want to know, you want to know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? The reason why Sodom fried was because of pride. I told you already when I preached here last week, I don't hate anybody. I want to love people enough to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Amen. Jesus Christ died for all. What's my definition of all? <laughs> all means all, and that's all. All means, but I do know what the word of God says. God will not allow sin in his presence. You're either going to let Jesus Christ pay for your sin now or you'll pay for your sin later. Eternally separated from God in a Christless hell. Just to end up later on in the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20, 11 through 15. The nations today have not learned from any of these biblical examples, whether it's through the Edomites or this guy right here with the handwriting on the wall, mine, mine, tekel. We have called evil good and good evil. That's Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 20. We have legalized sin, and we call it a normal lifestyle. We call it a normal lifestyle. They, like I said, they have indoctrinated our children with books glorifying same-sex unions, sodomy, and public schools. Everywhere you go, you're inundated with the stuff. Hey, man, America believes that we are beyond the reach of God. Because we're a mighty superpower, we have so much wealth, and we have such a military might. But I don't find America anywhere in Bible prophecy. Oh, I can find you Russia. I can find you China. I can find you Iran. I can find you Turkey. I can find you Egypt. I can find Syria, all these major players in the end time. I cannot find America in Bible prophecy. That right there tells me a lot, Brother Tom. Either America is going to be destroyed sometime after the rapture, or the rapture of the church will reduce us uh, from a, a superpower to a third-string quarterback on the world stage. We'll either be destroyed or run to the European Union, the revived Roman Empire for protection. Look what God did with Egypt, Assyria, Babylon. Medo-Persia, Greece, don't forget the mighty Roman Empire. Where are all they today? In ruins. You know why? They thought they were bigger than God. They thought they were untouchable until the handwriting came on the wall. Mine, mine, tekel, you're farsed. Your days are numbered, man. You're waiting the balance. You're found wanting. You've been judged and found guilty. And your kingdom will be divided between the Medes and the Persians. Folks, if you're a student of Bible prophecy like I am, obviously you can see the handwriting. Oh, come on now. You can see the handwriting on the wall. All these past empires are in ruins today. What makes America or any other nation the exemption here? The nations of the world are ripe for the judgment of God. Let me end off right here. Let, let, let's go to Revelation 14. Look at this. Revelation chapter number 14. I, I got to show you this here. In Revelation 14, we see two harvests here. We see two harvests. In Revelation 14, we see a grain harvest and we see a grape harvest. 
The grain harvest is in verses 14 through 16. Let me read that for you. Revelation 14, 14 through 16. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. That's the Lord Jesus. Having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. That's the instrument of judgment right there. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest, the grain harvest of the earth is ripe. The earth is ripe and ready for the wrath of God. Now we see the grape harvest. Look at verses 17 through 20. Look at the grape harvest here. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had a sharp sickle saying thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vines of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gather the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city. And blood came out of the winepress even unto the horses' brothers by the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. So we see the grain harvest here and we see the grape harvest. You go to Israel today, you see the remains of these 2,000 year old grape, uh, grape wine presses, exactly, these wine presses here. And back in the day, they would take those grapes, put them into the wine press, and what would they do? Boom, 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 until that juice goes flowing out. And in verse number 20, it says that the wine press was stomped and the blood flowed for the space of 1,600 furlongs. What's a furlong in the Bible, by the way? Yeah, about 606 feet, 9 inches, about 1 eighth, exactly, about 1 eighth. Of a mile. You wonder what's interesting about that? The blood flowing as far as a, as high as a horse's bridle, but maybe four and a half, five feet, for the space of 1,600 furlongs. That is exactly 176 miles. From the Jezreel Valley in northern Israel, Armageddon, all the way to the entrance to Petra, southern Jordan, where the Jews will be held up for the last half of the tribulation period. That's why you got to go to Israel. See, you got to see these things with your own eyes. It just puts everything into perspective. I'm here to tell you, folks, that the handwriting's on the wall. This earth is ripe for the pickings. This earth is ripe for the judgment of the wrath of God, which is why we need to be winning souls to Jesus Christ. We need to be preaching the gospel. We need to be winning souls to strive for five, as pastor pushes all the time emphasizing soul winning. We need to win the lost at any cost. We have desecrated all that is holy. We have desecrated all that is moral in this country. And I, folks, I believe Bible prophecy is on course to being fulfilled. We see last day's events signifying that the stage is being set for the end times to play out. We're not in the end times right now. We're in the last days. The last days of the church age. How do I know that? Read 2 Timothy 3, 
1 through 5. Get your pen out and circle the 19 characteristics between verses 1 through 5. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for many shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural effects, and truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's America today. Hedonism, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power there from such, turn away. Those are the last day's characteristics that we see going on right now. Prior to that next main event we call the rapture of the church. I'm here to tell you right now, folks, that everything that we see going on in the world right now is in lockstep with Bible prophecy. Why? The world says every, everything that's good is evil, and everything that's evil is good. Isaiah 5.20, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That is the society that we are living in today. But Jesus Christ said, and I'm going to paraphrase here, that when you see Bible prophecy unfolded, in its early stages, he said, you better start looking up. I'm about to call my bride out of the world. Amen. Amen. He made it clear in Luke 21, 36. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to what? Escape, Escape what? All these things. things. What is that? all these things? A seven-year period of tribulation to come. To escape. All, I had a guy say, escapism isn't biblical. Well, there it is. Oh, you know, the things I hear. Escape all these things that shall come to pass at the stand before the Son of Man. Ben Adam in Hebrew. The, son of, uh, the stand before the Son of Man. That is the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. Dr. Todd Baker and I were in Greece in May. We stood at the Bema platform in ancient Corinth where Paul the Apostle stood from two, uh, 2,000 years ago. The Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14.10. Romans 14, 12, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. You and I have a date-to-date -date interview with the king of the Jews after the rapture, amen? We're going to stand before him. We will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. This has nothing to do with your sin because your sin was judged at the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ washed your sins away. Our salvation is sealed, sealed unto the day our redemption. I don't understand how Christians could believe you could lose your salvation when the Bible unambiguously teaches the total opposite. Right. It's like calling God a liar without calling him a liar. Right. Our salvation is sealed, Ephesians 4.30, unto the day of redemption. So what's the purpose of the Bema? To determine reward. You might get one crown, two crowns, three, maybe even all five crowns. Dependent upon what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ in the here and now and make sure our motives are proper. Don't do it as man pleasers. You do it as unto, unto the Lord. You do it as unto him. So Jesus said that when you see prophecy unfolding, preliminary, in its early stages, he says, you better look up. I'm about to call my church out of this world. You and I, will one day escape the apocalyptic scenario that is to come. And when the church has been taken out of the way and the Antichrist comes on the scene, confirms a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, then that will commence the end times. The end times that cover the 70th week, the seven-year period of tribulation. The end times that will cover the second coming of Jesus Christ. The end times that will cover Armageddon. The end times that will cover the 1,000-year millennial kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. But it stops at the great white 
throne judgment. You know who the great white throne judgment's for? Ain't for you. You're saved. The beamer is for you. Not the great white. You know who the great white throne's for? The unregenerate. The people who die in their sins without trusting Jesus Christ as personal Savior. They go to this temporary holding place called hell. Think of hell as jail. Think of the lake of fire as prison. Hell is temporary. Prison is long term. Are you with me? If you commit a murder, well, you're going to have to stand before a judge to see if there's evidence of you committing that murder. But until then, do they hold you in a prison? No, what do they hold you in? In a jail. And then when you're found guilty, guess what? You're going to the big leagues, man. You're going to the big house. You're going to a long-term prison. Those who die without Jesus Christ go to hell. They remain in hell, suffering the flames of fire and torment until they stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment. And the Bible says the books, plural, are open. What are these books? I believe these books contain the deeds of all these unregenerate from the womb to the tomb. Then the Bible says a book, singular, is open. What is that book? The book of life. Their names are not there. And because their names are not there, what's their final destination? The lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20, 14 and 15. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Which I heard a preacher say that if you're born once, you're going to die twice. You will experience a second death. But if you're born twice, you're only going to die once. That's why Jesus said in John 3, 3, John 3, 7, ye must be born again. That message that my dear brother back there shared with me, April 22nd, 1988, 1049 a.m., on a Thursday morning, Animal Rescue League, New Bedford, Massachusetts, at the age of 24 years old. Man, I wish I was 24 again. <laughs> and then in return, March of 1991, at work at the Oaks Nursing Home, I led this guy to the Lord. Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thine house. That's what it's all about. It's sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see how it all just comes back to you? There's my brother right back there. Here's my brother right here from years back. It's important that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? We owe it to them. Did not Paul say that? In Romans 1.14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and unwise. That's why I'm going to Israel in a week. I can't wait to go back out there because I want to do what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Matthew 10, 5 and 6, Matthew 15, 24, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I don't care what John Hagee says. Jews need to hear the gospel. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to the saved sheep of the house of Israel. He said, I'm going to the lost sheep of the house. 
as Dr. Baker would say, there is no expiration date on Romans 1.16. None. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes it, to the Jew first, also to the Greek and to the Gentile. Romans 10.1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. We're running out of time, folks. We're running out of time. Mene, mene, tackle, you farsen. We can see, Brother Tom, the hand writing on the wall. The judgment of God is about to come on this earth in the form of a seven-year period of tribulation. 69 of those 70 weeks have already been fulfilled. God's going to keep his word. Whether you like it or not, God's going to keep his word. God kept those 69 weeks, 483 years between Nehemiah and the death of the Messiah, 173,880 days from Nehemiah to the death of the Messiah, the death of Jesus Christ ended the 69 weeks, Daniel 9, 26. One week remains unfulfilled. A seven-year period of trip. How do I come to all this conclusion? I read the Bible for its plain sense interpretation. If the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense, or you will end up with nonsense. I never thought I'd see the day, Brother Tom. The church would be in so much heresy today. The apostasy within the church is unprecedented because we're no longer getting our doctrine from this anymore. We're getting our doctrine from Hollywood. We're getting our doctrine from the Chosen series, owned by Mormons, by the way, produced by Mormons. Put that in the back of your mind. We're getting our doctrine from social media rather than I told you I'm a five-pointer right <laughs> I reject the tulip five-point garbage but I am a five-pointer B I B L E those are the only five points I adhere to Jesus is coming soon and I never, ever, ever get sick of tooting my own horn. I just don't. I love to toot my own horn, man. The shofar, right? Ram's horn, Joshua chapter 6, verses 4, 5, 6, 8, 13. Five times it says, the priest, the Kohen Haggadol, blew the trumpet of ram's horns. I don't have a ram's horn. I have a Yemenite shofar. I always have ram's horns available on my table when I preach at churches. But in any case, a ram's horn, a shofar is going to sound. And when it does, it will be so loud, all the born-again dead in Christ. From Pentecost up until now, coming up out of those graves. Six feet further, they go first. Then we, which are alive and remain, pow, caught up. I love that word, caught up. It comes from the Greek word, hapazo, the harpoon. The Latin, raptoro. Where we get the English word? Rapture. The first person, plural, future, indicative, passive tense. That's a mouthful, I know. It means to seize or to snatch away. One day we're going to be seized 
and snatched away. That's why I practice my rap to take off. <laughs> I, get my, I get my practice in, man. Because <laughs> one day he's going to take us to the Father's house. And we will forever be at the side of Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. Be ready. And folks, always pray. Maranatha. Mem, Resh, Nun, Aleph, Tav, Aleph, Maranatha in Hebrew, or Maranatha out of 1 Corinthians 16.22. What does it mean? Our Lord come. That was a first century A.D. greeting, 2,000 years. If I saw Chris walking through me in his toga, <laughs> I'd say, Brother Chris, Maranatha. He'd look at me and he'd say, Brother Rosado, Maranatha. We should be praying Maranatha. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The Bible opens up in Genesis with the birth of the Lord, Genesis 3.15, and ends with the coming of the Lord. Revelation 22, 20. He which testified these things said, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. That Greek word for quickly is tashu. I didn't sneeze. That's a Greek word. Tashu. It means his coming is imminent. It could even be today. Let's pray Maranatha. Let's win souls. Let's keep looking up. Put our ear holes on. Listen for the sound of the shofar. Come up hither. And faster than you can blink the human eye. We're out. We're gone. We're out of here. See you later. Sayonara. Shalom, shalom. We're out. What a blessed hope to look forward to. Why would you want to miss all that for this world? Get saved today. Don't be left behind. Every head bowed, every eye closed. With every head bowed, every eye closed. I hope you come back tonight because I want to talk about are we in the tribulation period now? There's some Christians out there that are teaching that. Are we in the tribulation now? Because we're going to show from the word of God if we are or if we are not. I think you already know the uh, answer to that, but come tonight. But if you're here this morning, you're saying, August, I don't have the assurance of going to heaven when I die. I don't want to be left behind at the rapture. I don't want to go through that terrible seven-year period of tribulation. I don't want to die and go to hell for the rest of eternity. I need to get saved right here right now. I've been playing church too long. I've been going through the forms of religiosity. I'm tired of playing games. I want that relationship with Jesus Christ. August, would you pray with me? Or someone show me from the Bible how I can know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that heaven will be my destination. The handwriting on the wall could be for me today. Mine, Teko, Eupharsin. I know the Bible doesn't promise us another day on this earth. Life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while that it vanishes away. The handwriting on the wall could be for you today. Get saved now. If I'm talking to you, all you simply need to do is just slip your hand up and put it down. By doing so, all you're telling me is this, August, pray for me. I need to be saved. 
I need to be saved. Do we have anyone like that here this morning at East Bay Baptist Church? August prayed for me. I need to be saved. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I don't want to be left behind. I want to be ready. Do we have anyone like that here this morning? August prayed for me. I need to be saved. Anybody at all? <clears throat> all right, I'll ask you this. And then Chris is going to play a song of invitation here. If you are saved, born again, ready to go, you know you're ready to go, whether by death or by rapture, you know you're ready to go. If you're saved, would you raise your hand as a testimony? And just keep it up for a second. August, I'm saved. If you're saved, I want to see your hands. If you're not saved, don't raise your hand because you're just lying to yourself. Many, many hands. Look at these hands. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Some put their hands all the way up, some halfway. I, I don't know. <laughs> but listen, if, there, if there's doubt going through your head, man, my advice to you, you need to talk with somebody. Myself, Brother Tom's over here. Ladies, you can talk to my wife. You can talk to Chrissy, Heather. Talk to some, but don't leave here lost. The handwriting on the wall could be for you today. Don't leave this earth without knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Father, I pray now, Lord, that you would take this invitation and use it for your glory. Father, I can only do so much as a finite individual, as a mortal, sinful human being. But as a sinful human being, Lord, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And my salvation is sealed unto the day of redemption. And Lord, that day of redemption could be so soon upon us today. It could be so soon. It could be today. could be tomorrow, I, next month. I don't know. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But our redemption is so soon upon us. Father, until then, would you help us? Would you help us to win the lost at any cost? Everything seems to be in lockstep with what the Jewish prophets and the Jewish apostles prophesy would happen prior to the return of the Lord. And so, Father, I'm asking you this morning, take this invitation, speak to your people, speak to those watching via live stream on the East Bay Baptist uh, YouTube page and the Facebook page, Lord. I pray that this message would go out and prick the hearts of those that are watching it. And, Lord, if someone just needs to come up and just pray with me, I'd be more than willing to pray with them. Maybe what they're going through right now, you know what they're going through, Lord. You, you see the hurt. You see the need, Lord. We all have need. All of us, Lord. And nobody in this church is better than anyone else. We are all in that same boat. But, Lord, we love one another. Right. We pray for one another. We lift up one another as iron sharpeneth iron. We're not in the business, Lord, of pointing fingers and condemning Jesus Christ did not come to condemn, but the Bible says he came to save, to give his life a ransom for many. But, Lord, we do know what the Bible says. Judgment is coming, and we don't want to see anyone left behind. So, Father, thank you for what you're about to do now. Help us come back here tonight at 6 p.m. and pray that your grace and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.